0: This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia, Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First time listeners and longtime listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversations. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee School of Theology, Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Daryl Strawberry. Yes, I'm introducing the left-handed wonder of right field. With an on-base percentage of 357, the 1983 Rookie of the Year, the four-time World Series winner, and the 2010 inductee into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, Mr. Number 18 himself. Daryl. thank you for joining the conversation.
1: All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. So we have to recognize the pink elephant in the room. Is it awkward that while we're having this interview, I'm staring at your starting lineup figurine from the 1980s that's been displayed in my office and been in my possession since I was a child?
1: <laughs> well, I think that's, that's pretty good then, you know, if you're a big 80s fan, because I, I think the 80s were uh, a role in history for the New York Mets in those days, because we were a team like a rock star, so everybody was really crazy about it.
0: Well, my first Little League team uh, was the Mets, which uh, was a lucky grab for me, because uh, that was the year y'all ended up winning the World Series, which was an incredible experience for for many Mets fans and considering we we haven't had a lot to hang our hats on since then
1: yeah unfortunately uh we haven't you know it's it's been a real struggle uh, you know in Queens for a very long time and you know you're just hoping one day that they get back on track and get into a place where
0: uh, they
1: start winning you know winning for their fans more than anything because they deserve it
0: all right so there's only one more question I have to ask as a Mets fan Uh, Is it true that Keith Hernandez's mustache is so strong that it could probably bat 357?
1: (laughs) It's a great possibility. I mean, he was such a good hitter, you know, he had such a great eye, you know, I'm quite sure his mustache had a big part of who he was back in those days.
0: (laughs) Now you retired in in 99 uh, with that other team in New York uh, that I will, I will not mention while we're having this conversation, but, but what do you miss most about playing?
1: I just miss being uh, around the guys. I think more than anything, you develop such uh, love and care and respect, you know, for who you are and what you're trying to accomplish more than anything. I think when you go through a season, it's about a family and, you know, yeah, of course you're going to have some ups and downs. That's part of it. But at the same time, you know, when you start in spring training from day one, you know that uh, six months, it's going to be a very long time together and we need to like, really make the best out of the kind of talent that we have and that we're going to put on the field uh, to be winners. I think that's what's really important when you step into spring training and going into the latter part of the year, when your season's about the end, you hopefully you're in a place to be in the winning circle.
0: Now you are an eight time all-star. What's the difference in the game today than, than when you played?
1: Well, I, I think, I think it's, the players and the spirit of the players, you know, are are they really connected together? Are they really focused more on baseball or are they focused on other outlets? I mean, they have so many different outlets now, you know, media, social media outlets uh, to make themselves more popular than what actually is important playing baseball. And I, I think when you get away from that, you see so many players today get hurt. I don't know if they train hard enough. Or uh, what is it that they do? You know, to be uh, a player to play 162 ball games to prepare yourself. I have just never seen so many guys get hurt with just low injuries.
0: Well, uh, certainly this pandemic is uh, the experience of this season. Uh, of course, your your hometown team. You're from LA. You know, they they finally won one for the first time in a while. Uh, certainly, this upcoming season is going to be uh, just as unique as this last go around.
1: Uh, no question, you know. I of course it was a very difficult uh season to go through and and they kind of pushed through what they had to push through. Uh very hard not to play in front of fans. I could only imagine what it was like for a lot of guys. So, you know, coming up before the next next season, uh you just you just hope that teams are ready and and teams that should be at the top uh should be winning. Um you know, teams that are good enough should be in in the race and you should want to stay in the race i mean that's the most important thing you know during during the course of a baseball season if you're good enough you want to stay in the race and stay close and have a chance to win
0: well i'm sure the many times in those seasons you were playing for uh for the other team in town going to fenway hearing those fans chirping in the right field i'm sure this would be a a season that you would want to play because you wouldn't have to listen to all that trash talk they were giving you
1: I, I prefer the trash talk. I prefer fans being in the stands. Uh, it's so important to have fans in the stands, and, you know, no matter where you go, if you're being booed or being cheered, it, it really doesn't matter. You just you you go out and perform because you have something to prove to your home fans, and you have something to prove to the, the fans away. You know, and and that's what baseball is all about. Uh, being able to be in the midst of the pot and proving yourself, you know, because you can't prove yourself when you're in the midst of the fire. You know, then it serves no purpose.
0: All right. I'll, I will unselfishly move us on because we're here to talk about your new book because I could talk to you about baseball all day because this is a, a dream come true for me. But you have a new book out, Turn Your Season Around, How God Transforms Your Life. This book is a transparent look into your extraordinary journey of high moments of being one of baseball's greatest players, the struggle with addiction and marriage, uh, battling cancer and your faith journey. You wrote, sin is constantly Constantly, my sin cost me two failed marriages and millions of dollars of fines and penalties, incarceration, multiple stints in rehab for cocaine addiction and alcoholism destroyed relationships and robbed me of years of peace and purpose. What was the motivation behind writing this book now?
1: Well, I I actually didn't really want to write another book. I think my wife was encouraging me and she just believed that God had put it on my heart. You know, I've been in ministry for a long time now, and been separated from baseball, and been standing on a pretty powerful platform, and and preaching the gospel in front of thousands of people, and winning souls. And you know, since my life has has been moved in a different direction, and and I, I just thought it was time. I, I didn't realize that, you know, when I was writing the book, you know, when I made the title "Turn Your Season Around," I didn't realize that the whole nation would go into a pandemic, and we would be uh, stuck, and everyone would have to turn the season around after this year going going forward. Uh, so it was. It, I believe it wasn't of me. I believe the book was really more of a, of God making a point. Uh, I think when people open it up and read it, they're going to see it's not about a baseball story. It's about you know principles. It's about life being turned around. Life being turned around from where where I was in the darkness or who I was because. You know, the one thing I, I look at is the media, they always talk about me when I was in trouble and when I was lost and broken, but they never talk about me since I've been transformed and since I've been doing what I've been doing over these last 17 years of my life and, you know, helping so many people, you know, with addiction and also, you know, preaching the gospel and traveling the country. So, you know, I, I just thought it was a perfect time to put uh, put a statement on, what my new life is really all about. Everybody already know my old life, but, you know, now maybe people get a chance to look in and see what really happened and how, how did I get to the place I'm at today.
0: Well, as you just mentioned, I mean, you've you've traveled around, you've spoken to, to thousands upon thousands of people, um, you've counseled and coached people through their experiences. You know, why why do you think it's so important to take such a transparent approach to to talking about your life as you try to mentor people in faith?
1: I think because it's a it's a free free gift given you know, from God to you to be able to say who really touched your life, who really changed your life. Uh, a lot of times, people want to take credit, you know, for for a lot of things and. You know, we never really give credit where credit is due, you know, and I, I give the ultimate credit to, you know, my relationship, you know, with God and uh, actually changing me, you know, from not from, you know, the outside of being Daryl Strawberry, but from the inside, you know, having a real, real transformation on the inside and, and becoming a different person and seeing things different and, and understanding, you know, the creation of who you are and, and why you were created, because I think a lot of people walk through this life. Don't even know why they were created. I think a lot of us think we're created to have success and have a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's 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 part of it. But then at the end of the day, who are you? Because you, we're gonna all die. And then where are you going? Who are you? You know, because you know you hear the story. Everybody thinks, well, everybody's just getting into heaven. No, they're not. You need to read the book. You need to read the Bible. It's clear about you know what God thinks about every life and how important every life is to him and to know him and to have a relationship so you can get into heaven, you know, after your life is over here.
0: That word sin uh, used uh, is such a charged term. Why do you think uh, we are so uncomfortable talking about sin in our culture?
1: Because we don't want to face that. We fall short. And, you know, the Bible makes it clear that we all will fall short. And when you can understand now some, it says, oh, I don't care who you are. I don't care how successful you are. It's, you're going to fall short because everyone that enters into this life will become a sinner. It's just the nature of what happens from the beginning when you go back to Genesis and read in Genesis what happened to you know, Adam and Eve. you know it, It's just, it's part of what, what everyone is going to face and everyone's going to have to Come to that crossroad and eventually have to deal with it for themselves. Because if you never deal with it, then you'll stay in it, you'll live in it, and, and and it will kill you. You know, for the wages of sin is death. You know, it it, it takes people out, and people wonder why people die because it, you know you're falling short and you're a sinner and you need a savior. And we're not the saviors. Man can't save you. Money can't save you. Fame can't save you. It's only Christ, the only one that can save you from your sinful way So. Uh, I I think that's why so many people fear of talking about that because they don't like to face the fact that we all are sinners and, and it's by God's saving grace that gives us an opportunity uh, to come, come and behold, you know, when we enter in with him and have a personal relationship with him.
0: Well, the, you know, the, the adverse side of, of sin is, you know, I, I found this in this other quote that you, you, this from the book, you said, uh, I'm a living example of how God can flip the script in a person's life to show his love, grace, and mercy can turn anyone's season around. I wonder if, if, if you'll talk to us about uh, how you've experienced this in your life.
1: Well, yeah, that's a good point there, I mean, you know, because you think about where I was and, and like I said, uh, everybody had, you know, more comments to say about what I would end up be, being like and what my life would turn out to be. And they were completely wrong, you know, because it was because of God's grace and mercy that I entered in with. And then he brings about a real transformation and he, you know, he rescues me, he redeems me and he restores me to wholeness and righteousness. And then he gives me this biblical education, which I, you know, which I never went to school for but he gives it to me supernaturally because I decide to commit, you know, and that's because that's, that's when you start understanding what grace is. What is grace? You know, I think a lot of people don't understand grace is something that God gives you that you don't deserve. Because if he gave us what we deserve, we all would be dead. So he gives us this grace to utilize us for his good. And when you can recognize that the grace is for uh, you're good to be used, so you can do what God's called you to do. Eventually, you may enter into that, and and I think so many misunderstand grace. Everybody thinks they deserve it. We don't deserve it. He gives it to us anyway.
0: You wrote uh, about a metaphor of of RBIs, runs uh, bad end For those who aren't familiar with the term, to, to the necessity of Jesus followers to be ambassadors of forgiveness and love. And yet, you know, one of the challenges facing the church today is the culture's association with the church as something different. Um, Recent Pew research that talked about word association and some of the words associated with the church for a lot of people outside the church is judgment and and bigotry. Why do you think the church is, is more associated with these things than with forgiveness and love?
1: Well, the church should never be associated with that. They should always be associated With forgiveness, because if it was, we all been given the grace. We all been forgiven. If he had not given us, we wouldn't be sitting here today. And and I think so. I think what what's happened in the church is the church has grown cold, and the church has grown to a place of itching ears and make a message of just make me feel good and let's just talk about certain things. And this is why we're seeing the problems that we're seeing in the church because. People are not being liberated. You know, you have to go out and preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're gonna just, if you're gonna preach about, you know, just to make me feel good, the enemy is not impressed. He's sitting on the sideline and knowing that most people that are walking in the church to feel good is not equipped when they come out. And when you're not equipped to come out and fight against the the supernatural things, um, you're going to be such judgmental of everything else, because now you don't, you, you, you're not able to stand for what the church is because you're falling into anything. And I think this is the problem that we're seeing in the church. We're seeing too many young pastors standing in pulpits and making themselves a brand instead of making the brand out of Jesus Christ. They want to be a brand, a name, they want to be famous. And that's where we're starting to fall short in the church and finding trouble.
0: Baptist Seminary of Kentucky offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Not only the Master of Divinity degree, but our Pastoral Care Certificate, Rural Ministry Certificate, and Flourish workshops for lay leaders are offered virtually so that you can study where you are. BSK alumni are serving in many different capacities in and outside the church as ministers, counselors, missionaries, artists, musicians, nonprofit leaders, and many other creative career paths benefiting from theological education. As the official seminary of National Baptist Convention of America International, BSK is committed to working for racial justice. All students are required to take black and womanist theology as part of a black church studies thread woven throughout our curriculum. Over 80% of BSK students graduate with little to no additional debt occurred from their seminary experience. Our flexible block schedule approach, the ability to study where you are, and the plentiful scholarship opportunities allow students to focus on training for ministry without the burden of accuring massive debt. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit bsk.edu to learn more about our areas of emphasis or to apply for one of our programs. In, in the book, you wrote about a biblical worldview. For, for you, what is a biblical worldview and what helped shape this particular perspective into what a biblical worldview is?
1: Well, I, I think the biblical view is, is do we live according to the principles? You know, and I think the principles are there. The foundation has always been there. It's been set there. But I think what what has happened, like I said before, people are starting to change You know what the gospel of jesus christ is they're starting to make it as what they want it to be and they want to put their own spin on it and you can't put your own spin on it you know this has been here forever you know there's people that have pioneered and came before the great billy grahams like that have come before to show us that the ultimate goal of the biblical principles when we preach it and when, when we live it right it wins souls and that's what we've gotten away from. He was the greatest soul winner because of the biblical principles. You know, he stood by the biblical principles. And I think so many have have gotten into a society today, you know, where it's about a popularity contest. It's not about, you know, am I winning souls? It's about how good do I sound? And that's getting us nowhere. And I think when we get back to uh, what the principles and what the word says, that's how we will get back to, people repenting and coming back and asking God for his forgiveness. See, you you can't give get forgiveness for people really doesn't mean a whole lot. It's God's forgiveness that we need, and I think so many are searching for
0: that. You know, this, this pandemic, um, you know, we'll, we'll come to talking about the pandemic in a moment, but during this pandemic, certainly um, a lot of the disparity within the American culture has been made evident, um, specifically just how far we haven't come um, when it comes to to racial equality um, within, within our culture. And in the book, you spoke about the agenda uh, of Satan to distract and deceive Jesus followers for their purpose in the world. And, and I, I know this might sound harsh. I don't think this could be any more truer in the church of, of white evangelicals, more specifically, researchers have found that that you are more likely to find supporters of of white supremacy at a church on Sunday morning than a coffee shop. And this research is done by the Public Religion Research Institute. Do you think our conversation about forgiveness and love need to translate into a a pursuit of equality and open-mindedness as we uh, look at the continued issue of racism in America?
1: Yeah, you know, no question about it. Needs to be open-mindedness, but also at the same time, lawlessness brings about brokenness. It's been a broken generation for a very long time. And what is what is the problem? It is what is the real the real problem that we're facing in this nation is sin. And, and 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 when we repent and we come back, you know, and ask God to forgive us, that's when the hearts will change. You know, racism has always been there but it's a sin problem you know it's a it's a problem of history of being taught born born in families and raised in wherever different places in the south and different places like that and down in places like that those type of places where it's being taught that's a that's a sin problem you know that's an issue that's an issue and that's a heart problem and the only man that can fix a heart is god himself no man is going to change The way another man thinks. It is God that changes the heart of a man. And when we understand that, and when we understand who we are in Christ, when we identify ourselves as as like Christ was and is, you know, when he came two thousand years ago, and when he hung on the cross and shedded his blood, you know, he did that for everybody. He didn't just do it for you know black, white, you know, Spanish. He did it for all mankind. He said that so they would come so that they would be able to come and understand life and have life and have life to the fullness of, of what he has to offer. And that you know, I think our society is looking for you know, men to fix our issues, politicians to fix our issues. They can't, you know, it, it, they won't be able to fix it. It's still going to be, it, it's not until we repent as a nation, we repent as people and ask God to forgive us in turn you know turn from the wicked ways of the world because the wicked ways are really out there you know we we open the door for wicked ways you can be whatever you want to be act any kind of way you want to be say what you want to be and you know it's just it's just what has happened lawlessness is just is running wild now and and even more now i think i think the reason why we see it even more now is because of social media and different outlets you can see the craziness of what's really happening
0: you know, you talked about you know racism as as sin, and certainly you know our our role as leaders of the church is to uh, address the sins that um, the church faces. So how how do we as a church? You know, you know, obviously racism and love and forgiveness can't live in the same bed together. You know, those are two kind of opposing thoughts, if you will. So how do we as the church uh, nurture and help people grow? How do we challenge people around this very, um, for a lot of people unseen sin within their heart and their mind that is typically expressed in ways that they don't maybe necessarily recognize as racism?
1: right well we start first we have to stop looking at each other as color you know and look at it you know as a human being i think that's the major problem just because you're black just because you sound this way we shouldn't we shouldn't judge people the way they speak the way they talk or anything you know we we should learn you we we haven't learned the first commandment i think is more than more than all which is love you know because who is god god is love he loved us first you know what happened to us as people loving each other first instead of looking at someone and saying well their standards are not you know my standards they may not be but that doesn't mean that we should not love them we shouldn't we shouldn't judge them we shouldn't look at them any different and I think that's the problem that we have in our society we look at each other from a different perspective and we see each other of color we we've made everything into color now and I think it's really divided you know this nation and i i think the enemy is just having a a, he's having a field day with those that don't believe that those that don't know the gospel of jesus christ because he knows he can distort them and he can lead them into the darkness and keep them into the darkness but as believers we have to be more sensitive of what's really happening and we have to allow ourselves to you know be uh kind enough to speak you know speak truth i think you know that's the most important thing as a church is the church speaking truth today or is the church just speaking or is it is it about egos running and who's got the biggest church and who sounds the best i think that's the problem that we're dealing with and i think that's why so many people that are lost don't want to become part of the church because they believe the people in the church are a bunch of hypocrites because all they do is care about themselves and care about success and care about money, and I think that's what they have come to see.
0: You wrote, uh, God allows us to go through seasons of change, uncertainty, or trials to slow us down so we can regain his perspective and acknowledge our dependence on him. This pandemic has has certainly been one of the most trying times for, for everyone, um, no matter who you are, no matter where you live. So, you know, taking this uh, this theological perspective that you shared here, what have you learned about God throughout this whole ordeal since March?
1: I've learned that he's pretty cool. <laughs> and I've, I've learned that he, he's the great, great person to lean on in the midst of what we've been through. This has been. This has been a great time for me to spend quality quality time instead of being on the road traveling and preaching a lot. You know, being able to spend quality time and learning more about God and learning that God cares, but He wants the people to care. He wants the people to care, and He wants the people to uh, obey Him and live by His principles. And I think that obedience is is the key. To one being successful and elevated by God when he when he obeys God when not not when he just talk about God but when he actually obey God and when he live for God and when he love others because when you know see well, a person like me I'm not looking to be famous and rich and anymore I've already done that but I, I I know one thing at the end it's meaningless when you know people like King Solomon and the way he talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about how it's meaningless without God under the sun. All this means nothing. And it doesn't, because when you look at people that went through with God and had everything, and he's telling you all this stuff means nothing because it's going to it's gonna be gone. You know, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not my word. But all this stuff is going to be gone. Then where are you? Then who are you? And I think people don't take time out to, to really allow themselves to know God until they get to the end and then it may be too late because you missed the whole part of your lifetime of spending time through hard times with God. God loves the person that loves to spend hard, that spends the hard times with him and stay with him in the midst of the storms.
0: In the book, one of the most inspiring chapters, uh, you write about reclaiming God's best. Um, I wonder if you'd share for us what you mean by that and what does that look like in our lives?
1: Well, reclaiming God's best for who he created you to be. And that's that's the good thing about all of us. We have to know who he called us to be. We'll never know if we don't spend time with him. If we're too busy, we never know how to reclaim the best that he has for us. And see, I had to reclaim. I got a chance to spend all my time through my hard times with God and be able to reclaim the best that God would call me 12 years ago no education and ministry to preach the gospel because I said yes that's when you start knowing how good God is when you say yes to him three letter word y e s it means you enjoy salvation because now you have said yes to him and he's going to teach you he's going to teach you every good thing about him and why he created you and why he wants to use you. See, he wants to use you because he wants you to understand, he wants you to know that it's not about you. You think about Moses, he used Moses so mightily to lead the Israelites because of his meekness. You know, Moses couldn't speak, he had a speech impediment. But God used him mightily because what? He was humble enough and he walked with meekness. God loves one that humbles himself in front of him and walk with meekness. And God knows I can exalt him and I can use him. And this guy will never make it about himself.
0: It's probably hard to encapsulate, you know. um, But what's your hope for your readers?
1: My hope for my readers is that they realize that God is such a merciful God. And no matter what trials or tribulations you've had in life, he still wants to use you. All you have to do is, is make a commitment to him. I've all I've done. All I've done was made a personal commitment that Jesus was going to be Lord over my life, and I was going to follow these commandments in the book and these principles. I was going to start living by, them. and that's all I've done. You know, am I perfect? No. There's no one. Jesus was the only perfect one. All of us will fall short. But did I? did I turn from the wicked ways? Yeah. Did I turn from those wicked ways? Did I turn from a lifestyle that I was living that was separated from God? Yes, I did. You know, was it, was it easy? No, it was not easy, but I had to bring discipline in myself just like I was a baseball player to make me great playing baseball. God said, and he called me, he said, I want you to go after me like you went after baseball. So how did I go after baseball? I trained myself and I was disciplined. And it was the same way when I got into the word of God, I started training myself and I became very disciplined. Did I lose a lot of people that I used to play ball with, that I associated with as friends and stuff? Yes, everybody, everybody scattered when I started living this different life. And then they started, it was very serious and they've been gone for a long time. And I'm okay with that. I, you know, I, I live a totally different life. I don't live a life uh, of excitement, of television or anything like that. I live a life of, uh, you know, serving purpose and encouraging others. So I just want others to know that this book will encourage you to get closer to God and have a real relationship with him.
0: So it always sounds so silly to ask somebody this question, considering that the actual feat of writing a book is pretty remarkable. Uh, the book comes out in January. What are you working on next?
1: I am not really working on anything. I mean, I'm doing a, doing a lot of, a lot of interviews about this book. I think this, and I've done my autobiography book before straw, you know, it was a New York times bestseller, but I left, the, I left the people there with that book. And now this book here is the transformation of who I really am and how I really live and, and what I really stand for today. I don't stand for uh, the home runs and the championships that, you know, I achieved in life. I stand for, you know, my faith. I stand for my family, my wife, my kids, Uh, my community i stand for loving people i stand for helping people and letting people know that um, no matter what has happened you're not a mistake we just made a bunch of mistakes
0: all right this last one's a tough one okay okay Uh, who's winning the world series this coming season
1: (laughs) that's 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 a a really tough that's a tough decision right there well, you know, the Dodgers, Dodgers still would be favored, but I think the Dodgers and the Yankees will be the favorite for the series because they still have probably the most talented players.
0: I guess what we could have done is we, we could have recorded multiple answers, and then like as we get closer to the season, we'll re-release this episode with the correct answer each time.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I know you <laughs> under, I, I I understand that I get you on that yeah that's a, that's a clear point yeah uh, you know we' hopefully hope we're hoping one day that the Mets, you know can find their find their way back into you know playing winning baseball all you have to do is start winning, and you know the fans will come back
0: yeah. Look, lifelong Mets fan here. April and May, I'm living in a high of the glory of winning. And then it's like June. It's like, oh, yes, I forgot. Uh, <laughs> I know.
1: I, I trust, trust me, that's, hey, that's been what a lot of Mets fans and I feel bad for them because I keep telling people, you don't understand, Mets fans are great fans. If you just put a winning product on the team, um, on the field, I mean, just bring it to the team and bring it to the field put your product on the field that is winning that you're going to be in contention every year and you will see your fans pour into the ballpark and support you guys.
0: Well, if you want to stay connected with Daryl, visit findingyourway.com. Follow him on Instagram and Facebook, go out and purchase, turn your season around wherever books are sold. Daryl, first and most selfishly, thank you for inspiring a four-year-old me to love the game of baseball and the New York Mets. But thank you for letting your life after baseball be a beacon of light for all of us. And beyond this, thank you for your willingness to inspire us to reclaim God's best for us.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the time, Andy. I really appreciated this. It's just a great conversation and hopefully it inspired a lot of people that um, God's grace is sufficient for them.
0: This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu, to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAvee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.